ATV Talk, the podcast. Sit down with your host industry professional, Leonard Duncan, as the men and women from the ATV world bring their behind-the-scenes stories to life. Every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And remember, dream big. It could be your story one day. Brought to you by Take-Two Custom Teams. Screen printing experience that is dedicated to quality and customer service every time. Wes Miller, how are you, sir? I'm doing well. I'm glad to be on here. Well, thank you very much for coming and spending time with us at ATV Talk. Uh, we really appreciate you taking the time. I'm happy uh, to be a part of this. Excellent. Hey, I know you've been in the ATV industry for a long time. Um, let's go back in time and give everybody some history on where you come from and, and how you got started. Sure. Uh, so... My first ATV was a, a 1983 185S. Um, I got into it, and my dad had a Myers Manx when I was really little. Um, we used to rent a cabin um, in Phelan, which is kind of like by Wrightwood or Victorville. And I uh, would go there and go cruise around. And then he built a Baja Bug and then got a sand rail. And our neighbor was uh, real big into sand rails and took us to Glamis and he had some three wheelers. So they let me ride a three wheeler and my parents decided to get me one. So that's where the 185S came from. And then, uh, I don't know, we probably had the thing for like four months or something. I, my house backed up to the desert. So I used to literally ride every day after school. And uh, another buddy of mine, he was racing BMX and his parents were like, well, they got to have races for three-wheelers. Why don't you have Wesco race the three-wheelers? So we, uh, the first race I ever did, it was called like uh, the Night Owl Enduro, I think. It was put on by the CRC, if I remember correctly. And uh, <laughs> I had, so it was like nighttime in July in like johnson valley or something like that it was like 110 degrees out i think you know and i think i was like 13 had no idea about anything about racing and had definitely no idea what an enduro was i still don't know that i totally understand how enduros work with the time cards and everything but uh so we, i i did that race and it was like nighttime and i did it on a stock 185s with uh like bone stock with stock headlight and everything. And uh, then after that, there was a desert series in Barso called the ARA that was actually like pretty big. I think, I want to say the beginner class had probably like, you know, 200 entries in just the beginner class. Wow. And uh, that, was, uh, that was pretty cool. So I, I did that series, I think half of like 83, then I did all of 84, 85, and then 86. I kind of started doing more short course stuff. But, but uh, that was how I kind of got started with uh, three wheelers. And, and then uh, you know, that got me into ATV racing. And when did you get into the, the quads? Um, I switched to a quad in 87. I think uh, 
it, it was kind of funny because I mean, people back in the day, I feel like I, I would, I had just, I think started racing pro on a three wheeler. And I think there was some pushback from some of the top three wheeler riders. I wasn't even a top three wheeler rider, but I was decent. And, um, I think a lot of guys felt like it took a lot more skill to be fast on a three wheeler than it did on a four wheeler. And, uh, so there's a, a little bit of hesitation I think, from some guys to transition over, but then it just became to a point or it came to a point where, well, three wheelers basically got banned or they quit making them. And then, uh, it, it just, the riding was on the wall that everyone was going to switch to four wheelers, you know, but I think, uh, three wheelers took a little bit more finesse than uh, a four wheeler. I think you know, there were some guys that did well on those where you could ride with a little bit more reckless abandon and three wheeler. You had to be smooth and precise. Otherwise you're going to crash. <laughs> so, so you've got to see some elevate uh, evolution, you know, from the three wheeler to the four wheeler to the modern day machines that we race today. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, definitely. I think I've seen the majority of the evolution of the sport. You know, I was a little young when it first started, like I wasn't hanging out at Speedway 117 with Dean Sundahl and those guys racing 110s. But um, I remember reading about it and you know, like ATV news and three wheeling magazine and stuff like that. And looking up to those guys. I wasn't old enough to know who was there but I was there because my dad was building motors for a bunch of those guys. And I didn't, I didn't know at the time, but how could you know at the time that it would go where it has? Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, it's, I can remember why first started racing. They did TT races at Carlsbad and then they had a, a lot of races at Verona and I used to go race there. And, uh, there was a lot, there was a lot of fast 200 X's that your dad did. Um, that were the Danny's machine works. I think they're all blue and white from what I remember. Uh, then, the in-house one was. Yeah. And uh, remember like Brian Fuller was pretty quick and uh, you know, well, and then when your brother kind of took over and had his deal you know, and Duncan racing kind of started obviously with Marty and, you know, I think Marty laid the foundation there. But, uh, a big uh, portion of it. And then, you know, meeting Paul Turner and becoming uh, linked with Paul Turner and then end up becoming owning Paul Turner, you know, yeah, yeah. That, that all helped, you know, uh, we, uh, we had a, a strong local leg in the industry in, in Southern California here. So I don't know. I don't know where it would have ever went if, if Lauren wouldn't have uh, branched off with Marty and, and Paul, but uh, it's it sure. I'm sure it did, I'm glad that it did. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, I think, uh, I want to say like for sure, 88, 89, I was riding all Duncan stuff. Yeah. I think it was kind of Marty was your top guy. And then in Southern California, I think I was, you know, the top amateur guy you guys had or one of anyways. Oh, I remember, I remember you coming over to the shop that, you know, my dad's the original shop. Uh, oh yeah, I remember it. <laughs> and uh, coming over and talking with Lauren, and that's where I first met you. Yeah. Yep. Now, I remember uh, going to the little shop there back in the day. Yeah, and it, sure. 
It, well, I still work out of that shop with my dad. Oh, do you? Right on. My pops is uh, is is got a couple or a CNC mill, and he machines parts for himself. Does a little bit of stuff for Duncan Racing, but he likes to make parts for himself. And uh, he's out there at eighty five years old, just machining away. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah, it's, it's good history there. Oh, you can walk around inside that shop and it points out this and points out that. And we have triumphs and essays and some old TT 500s and just lots of cool stuff out there to look at. Yeah. Right on. So when you were, uh, you raced Mickey's for a few years, I don't exactly know how long that transition worked. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, like I said, I start off doing the ARA desert races I did my first Mickey's in 86 on a three-wheeler at uh, um, the Orange Show. And so that race, you actually, like, half of it was on asphalt with metal ramp jumps. And then you went in the infield on the dirt. And I I, kind of laugh now, you know, after being involved in racing for almost 40 years now to, like, look back and just think of, we didn't know shit. <laughs> like, <laughs> really, I, I probably had no business even being out there when, you know, you had guys like Marty Hart and Jimmy White and Mike Coe and um, it, like all these like top pros on full factory bikes. And I can remember, I still had a desert tank on my <laughs> three-wheeler. I didn't have the short course triple clamps and the tank and it really had no idea what I was even doing. <laughs> but um you know so that was the first uh mickey's i did and that actually 86 was the first score race i ever did too i raced uh the uh great mojave 250 on a tri z 250 with uh a, a buddy of mine eric peelstrom and uh so eric peelstrom i think went on to work for uh, well, he worked with Mike Mead. So it was like, I forget all of Mike Mead's different companies he's had over the years, but I think what was it? MMF and AC racing. AC racing and I, there was, a, I think a few different companies. Yeah. But, but uh, yeah, Eric went on to kind of be in the industry for a while, but yeah. So when I was 16. I did my first score race. Um, and then uh 87 when I switched to quads, I, I raced amateur again. And then uh 80, I think 88, 89, I think 80, 88, 89, I did most of the Mickey's races. Then uh I went to college at San Diego State and my parents kind of gave me the ultimatum of we'll help support you to go to college, um, but we're not gonna help you race anymore so and I couldn't afford to do it myself so I kind of had to quit racing and really I thought I was going to be done and be out of the industry and then uh after I graduated I ended up getting a job with a company called Endura that was a um like a a sports energy drink kind of like uh I I don't think they're around anymore but like Cytomax or it's uh it was like a legit energy drink so I started going to races and they sponsored a lot of motocross guys. So we worked with like Jeremy McGrath. I think at one point, like all of the top 10 national riders in two little motocross were all 
on it. So I started going all these races again and basically broke down and was like, I, I have to start racing again. <laughs> so, uh, so I ended up literally, I sold, I had a Jeep Grand Wagoneer that I sold. I took the money from that. And then I think charged my credit cards to like build a quad to go race. And then I bought, I lived in like a little apartment, so I had nowhere to store everything. And, uh, and I had to pay for everything myself. So I was just scraping by and like literally built a 250R out of like used parts. Doug Roll helped me out a lot. He, uh, I had one of the first Roll chat, or it was a DRDND chassis. Um, so it was like pre Lobo. And uh, I think myself, Mike Creation, and Mike Cafro are like the only three people that ever had those chassis or something like that. Um, but built this thing. So I, since I had sold my Jeep to get money for this, I bought through a friend a beater like Dodge Caravan that was like a re- restaurant cargo van. <laughs> and I had to keep my quad in the back of that. And I remember it had no AC, an AM radio, and I mean, it just had nothing in it. And it was, uh, it was pretty interesting because, you know, uh, being that age, trying to go pick up girls for dates or stuff like that, and I'm in this van that smells like gas, race gas, and my quad is in the back. And uh, it wasn't like the most impressive vehicle to go, <laughs> go uh, out in. <laughs> But, um, yeah, so definitely had, uh, some humble beginnings, uh, through some of that. Well, that's, that, that's what makes greatness is starting on the bottom and clawing your way to the top. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was, uh, I, I think, uh, I've seen a, a lot of different levels of support through the years. So when you got through that era, that was probably still, uh, early nineties, you know, yeah. 94. Yeah. That would have been like 93, I think. Yeah. Cause the, the Lobo chassis came out in, in 95. Yeah. Yeah. Is I did some Mickey's races. It is funny. Cause I, I've joked with people that quad, I think I've raced almost every possible type of race on that quad that you could have. Cause I did a Mickey Thompson's I, I raced speedway. I did a TT national on it. I did a motocross national on it. Um, I raced the Baja 1000 on it. Um, and I guess the only thing I didn't do on that bike was a GNCC race. Um, but I did like the Adelanto Grand Prix, you know, a bunch of different Grand Prix. So I don't think there's anybody. In fact, I, I can almost guarantee there's not anybody out there that has a quad that it's done all those different types of races that I just named off on the same machine. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. That's a lot of, that's a lot of hard work to get that chassis to do some of the things that you asked to, it to, to do a TT national and then turn around and do the Baja 1000 on it. It's a, yeah. a, a, a slight change in setup. <laughs> yeah. Just a, just a bit, you know, a couple months. <laughs> well, that's pretty awesome. I never knew that. That's, that that's a story on its own and it's actually the same quad in the very first huevos movie that i turned into a lowrider that had hydraulics on it and then i also did a, a rail slide on it for mtv where 
we made a skid plate and I did like a, a 50, 50 grind down like a two story handrail on the thing. So that quad saw a lot. Wow. And do you still have it? I actually sold it a few years ago. It had been sitting at my parents' place in Palm Springs. And then um, when they passed away, I kind of was cleaning stuff out. And I was just like, it would have been cool to restore it, but I've got enough crap <laughs> as it is. I was just like, well, there, there's actually like some collectors out there that restore them. And so there was a guy that wanted to buy it, but I think it was going to restore it. So. I think he's still kind of in the process of doing that, but uh, I don't know. I've now that I'm racing razors and stuff, I've got so many parts and like, uh, I feel like UTV racing would be like if I was fielding a, a six man quad race program or something for the <laughs> amount of uh, spare parts and tools and just stuff, you know, trailers and everything that I have now. That's crazy. Um, did you ever did you ever ride two wheelers at all? Uh, barely. <laughs> My very first bike was an RM80, um, but I never really got to ride it that much. I feel like I think I got that in '82. And we went to Akatia a couple times, but my dad liked going to Glamis more, so. Um, like I feel like I didn't really ride it that much, and I don't. I don't think I got like very much instruction with it either. It was like, hey, here's the RM80, and it was a friend of my dad's, his kid's old race bike, so it pretty much had a light switch power band, and it wasn't very, wasn't very beginner friendly as to try to learn how to ride a motorcycle either. But uh, <laughs> um, so I think I, I just. I don't think I was ever really like that into it. And then uh, when I started riding the three-wheeler, then I got into it more. So, um, you know, that's just kind of the way it worked out. That's cool. When uh, when did you start focusing most of your efforts uh, on score? So, in... I say like 94, I had moved to uh, Newport Beach. I was living with a, a buddy of mine that I grew up with. And we had both graduated college. And I think we were like sitting around a, a barbecue or something, shooting the shit, drinking a beer. And we were like, yeah, man, let, let's build a buggy and race the Baja 1000. We're all into it. And I'm like, all right, like, let's do this. But none of us could afford to do it. <laughs> so it's slowly but surely that group broke apart and we ended up not having a buggy and I was like well screw you guys I'm gonna do it on a quad so uh, I decided in 95 I was gonna race the Baja 1000 on a quad had never well I'd raced the uh the Canamar dune races down there but, uh, you know, I'd never desert race down there. I didn't really know a whole lot about Baja. Um, I'd help pit for Doug Roll a couple times, but kind of used Doug for advice on what to do. And uh, we put together, I'm trying to remember the, the whole team. It was, and we had Joe Bird, 
William Yokely, Tom Miller, and uh, John Gregory. Um, with, that was uh, our team. And I think originally it was supposed to be Joe Bird was going to provide the quad. And then uh, it ended up like John Gregory had a banshee that was all built out. We're going to maybe use that. And then like literally the night before the race, we kind of had a blowout between the team. And uh, we, I think leading up to that, we had decided, all right, we'll just race. Well, I just said, all right, we'll, we'll just race my quad. But we ended up racing the race. We, when we started, we hadn't pre-run. And we hadn't we didn't have pits and we didn't have like a chase crew so we literally like going into the race i was like well i know some of the guys at team green i think if we stop at the team green pits they'll give us fuel and that's literally we started the baja 1000 without like pits (laughs) and and we almost finished (laughs) like we made it to about 40 miles from um, outside La Paz and I think we were I don't know we were like third or fourth or something we're actually we're doing halfway decent still for not knowing what we we're gonna do that race was just like a complete shit show <laughs> like uh, I I wrote an article I think for three and four will action on it because like well I, I I think I rode like a 330 mile leg at night the headlight um uh mount broke off so the lights actually broke off the quad and i zip tied them to my riding pants or so that I, we wouldn't lose them and we could stop at another pit and try to weld them back on and then uh i, I threw uh was it kalamohai wash um down kind of by coco's um we had pre-run. I didn't know anything. That actually had been a rainstorm. There's some pretty muddy areas there. I got stuck. Well, at first I went in the water and uh, the airbox sucked water. So I died in the middle of the water there. And I think we had a uni on. So I was able to get off, bring it out, put it back on. But I could go like three more feet and then it would get soaked again. <laughs> and I'd have to get off, wring it out. So I finally got out of this mud hole and it was, you know, it was stuck in the mud. So there's no way like I could push it out. And so I get out and I'm like, well, I had to keep getting off and wringing the filter off. So I was like, oh, I'll just keep the seat not attached. Back then, OMF made a, a seat plate that you screwed screws in the bottom. And that's how you held the seat in because the seat latches would sometimes come undone and your seat would fall off. So instead of having to screw that in, screw it out to keep doing the the filter, I was like, well, I'll just kind of cruise through here. Well, then there's some intermittent areas where it was fast. There weren't water crossings. Then I hit one of those. So I hit a jump through one of those, and I was trying to sit on the seat to keep the seat from coming off, and it bucked me. I did a flying W, and both of my feet wound up my heel was stuck against the disc brake into the, and my toe into the wheel on the right side. And then my left foot was, my heel was stuck against the sprocket 
and my toe was wedged into the wheel on that side. And then as it spun, it had pulled me down to where my crotch was rammed against the frame of the quad. And, it, and it's pitch black, lights die, and I'm sitting here in the middle of the desert, and I'm like stuck. And like literally, it feels like the ligaments in both my knees are going to break. And I'm just like, oh man, what am I going to do? And then I'm like, a, a, a car might come over this hill and hit me, and I'm going to, this is how I'm going to die. <laughs> so, uh, Ended up, I finally was able to wiggle myself out. I think Doug Roll's chase guy, he had broken or something, and they pulled up just as I was, like, getting out of this. And they look at me, and I'm giggling, like, laughing because I can't believe what had just happened. And they thought I had, like, crashed and knocked myself goofy because (laughs) (laughs) here I am in the middle of the desert, like, laughing hysterically. But, uh, yeah, I, I... I think I kind of half-assed tried to explain to them what happened, but there was really no, no way to like fully explain it at that point. So I just put the seat back on and took off and actually made it and handed the quad over to Joe. Oh, wow. But, That's uh, a team. Yeah. So you d- definitely end up with some good stories down there. And then that quad actually almost got stolen twice in, this, in the same race too, <laughs> after it broke down. But uh, there was a... I think you always hear about a lot of stories from Baja and you know, how it's an adventure down there. And I, I think uh, my first Baja 1000 was definitely an adventure. <laughs> kind of uh, set the tone for me. And, and the stories probably don't get as good, but there's still some good stories, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, there's endless stories from racing down there. I think. I want to say this year is going to be my 22nd Baja 1000 now. Wow. So, so I've done a few. I've come a long way from being a rookie down there, I guess. Racing score on a three-wheeler. Racing score on a four-wheeler. And now racing score in a UTV. Yep. That's, that's some history right there. <laughs> I kind of like being able to sit down and have a cage around me now. <laughs> oh, come on now. The ground doesn't hurt that much, does it? <laughs> I just don't want to train that hard anymore. <laughs> okay. I, I can I can totally accept that answer. Or, or be that sore after a race. <laughs> so. You're not sore when you when you drive the UTV at all? Oh not not too bad. Nothing like a quad. The, uh, this, this last Baja 1000 was pretty tough cause I soloed it in the car and we lost power steering about, well, basically off the starting line. Oh, wow. And, uh, and then I also had a halfway think I had COVID, but, um, either the worst flu I've ever had or something else, but um so i was i was sick had no power steering i was in the car for 24 hours so that was uh i think probably mentally the hardest thing i've ever had to do (laughs) because all i wanted was out of that car and all you wanted to do was finish at the same time yeah i wasn't going to give up but there was some points where i was really thinking about giving up (laughs) wow it, it took uh it took a lot. I mean, when we were done, I couldn't even stand like when I got out of the car, <laughs> but wow. it took a little while to recover from that one. But, but like, 
like I soloed the Baja 500 once on a quad and that was, uh, I don't know if that was a great idea either. Really. <laughs> <laughs> like that, that was only 14 hours, but 14 hours on a quad is pretty physically demanding. What year was that? Um, what year did the, uh, LTZ 400 come out? Oh, three. So it was right when it came out. So I guess it would have been the O three Baja 500. And, uh, I got one of the very first units. It was a magazine unit. And so I, we had like stock arm, stock swing arm, stock axle, stock gas tank, everything on this thing. And, um, you remember Doogie? Yes. So, um, he helped put it together. I think he was with three and four wheel action at the time. And, uh, Wayne from PP did some shocks for me and we did, I put like a desert seat and some handlebars and, you know, tires and wheels and a skid plate. But other than that, the thing was pretty much stock. And, mm -hmm. I, I think like at one point I was running like third overall on it, like about 250 miles in. And then, uh, it like overheated and shut down. I sat there for a while. And so I ended up finishing on like 10th or something on thing, but I think it was, uh, it was an achievement just to finish though, to solo that thing. How's your back? Uh, what was funny is I had a masseuse lined up to have a massage after the race was over and I hurt so bad. I told her just to leave. I didn't even want her to touch me. <laughs> it was, uh, it was like, you know, when you have the flu and your whole body just aches, yep. like you just, it just like, and it hurts to touch. Yep. That's kind of how I felt. I was like, I, I, I just, I just want to go to bed. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> But yeah, so that, that was my, uh, the end of my Iron Man in Baja 500s. I don't know what you were thinking. Uh, it was a last minute thing that is, I just, he was like, yeah, Hey, I got this quad. You want to try it? I'm like, uh, sure. Let's go for it. So we <laughs> threw the whole thing together in like a two or three weeks. That's but, awesome. I love that. Let's, uh, let's move forward into the, into the future a little bit. And I've never asked and I've never sat down and had a conversation with you. How did you get into the movie business? Um, well, so when I was living in Newport beach, the, well, I mean, I grew up watching surf videos and skate videos and snowboard videos and stuff like that. I was always really interested in them. Um, really kind of like the surf videos when I was going to San Diego state, I would surf all the time. I was like always watching surf movies. Um, then when I was living in Newport, I was getting back into riding and racing and stuff. Uh, crusty demons of dirt came out and the Dana Nicholson from flesh wound films. He was living in Huntington beach and the LBZ guys were all in Huntington Beach, and we were kind of in some of the same circles there. So I got to meet those guys. I went on a couple shoots. Um, and then really, I, I just kind of 
I was tired of hanging out with my buddies that rode dirt bikes and were always talking smack about quads and calling them couches and this and that. And you know, I was like, man, I need to make a video or there needs to be a video that is like crusty demons of dirt for quads. You know, that actually makes quads look cool and shows people like how gnarly you guys go on quads. And, you know, basically I just wanted to, get some respect for quads in the motorsports industry. I kind of felt like we were the redheaded stepchilds a lot. And I felt like I wanted to really kind of come out, do make a movie that put the, put it in people's faces of like, Hey, like these guys are throwing it down. These guys are good riders. You know, they deserve respect. And that's kind of like the mindset that I had going into it. And I feel like we, had a chip on our shoulder kind of going into it. And then as far as the filmmaking aspect, I had no clue on how to make a film or shoot anything. I, I think, I think a lot of filmmaking is you're either born with an eye for a shot or you aren't. Um, and I, I feel like that I do have that talent of being able to compose uh, eye pleasing shots. And, and then I think having so much background of racing and being in the, the industry, I knew what a big jump was. I knew what a cool roost was. You know, so I had, I had that on my side going into it versus like, if I was just some kid that didn't know off-road racing or quads, um, but I went to film school you don't know that. I feel like that I see that a lot when I do photo shoots with agencies or things like that, where, you know, or we'll do like a TV commercial and you'll do like that. Cause I, I do some stunt performing too. And you'll do like a ha little half-assed roost and they're like, Oh, that was awesome. I'm like, no, that was actually horrible. Like, let me show you what an awesome one looks like. Um, so there was uh, the owner of LBZ. He was doing some motocross videos too. And he had a, a partner named Tyson Shills. And so I talked to them. I was like, hey, I want to make a quad movie. I think I can get some sponsors on board. So I got a few companies to help support it. And then Tyson and I went out and shot everything. And he had gone to film school. He knew how to shoot 16 millimeter film, which we were still shooting film at that point the quality of video cameras wasn't that great and you couldn't really shoot slow-mo yet with with them um and dvd cam or dv camcorders had just kind of come out which were halfway decent so when we did the first movie tyson shot all the film i shot video so we'd have two angles of everything I knew most of the riders, I knew the industry, so I kind of helped put that portion together. And that's really how Quattros Locos happened. Um, and then, you know, it was pretty well received. I think there were some people, there's a little bit of pushback. I feel like more from like the East Coast national good old boy people that were like, oh, who's this crazy guy from California? Yeah, this is like bad for the industry or something. And, um, but then I think the more we did it, everyone kind of came around to it and uh, yeah, they weren't so scared of us after a while. <laughs> well, what our biggest fear was is that it was going to be crusty demons dirt. 
you know? Yeah. And, and those guys, I think those guys almost hurt the motorcycle industry to a point, uh, you know, yeah. Was it entertaining? My son loved him. I had to, I had a young son at the time and I had to have him not watch them because it was, yeah, he turned into a little a-hole, you know? And <laughs> by the way, yeah. He, I mean, I think the what you know, my son, Danny, and, and he always wants yeah. me to make sure that, you know, he tells you that he has every one of your videos. He still watches them and he wants me to say hello. Okay. Tell Danny I said hi, although I talked to him on uh, social media anyways. There you go. Um, Yeah, I I think one of the things where we differed from, say, Krusty um, was, I think because I had a race background, we also showcased uh, ATV MX, uh, ATV GNCC, Desert Racing, I, I wanted to show all the different types. It wasn't just all free riding versus I think crusty. I don't think they show any racing at all. It was just all free riding. Free riding. Uh, so free riding. Um, I think I tried to encompass more of more of the sport. Yeah, that's why I think I think that's where a guy like me that was a traditionalist, you know, stepped back a little bit in the beginning, was like, I don't know. And then as you watch more of the work that you did, you did help us. You did make it better. Um, you know. Yeah. Well, I think the thing for the ATV industry is there wasn't really TV coverage. There wasn't really a whole lot going on to show people what people, you know, what, what the guys were doing. And I think that, you know, especially that, so we did Quadris Locos parted ways with LBZ and I ended up um, partnering with Fox racing and then Fox racing was doing my distribution for uh, the first six or seven Huevos videos before they got out of DVD distribution. But uh, I think being able to have the ATV an ATV movie associated with Fox and have Fox's distribution and have that in every motorcycle dealership around around the country, and even I mean all over the world. Um, it really helped pump some energy into the sport. I think it where lifted us, it gave us a a platform of our own, and and gave us some that the, the, these are real. These guys have skills. This is a real yeah. deal. We're not we're not just goofy guys riding quads. Yeah. Well, and, and I mean, that's, I mean, one of the things that we tried to do is, you know, if there was like a big jump that was in a dirt bike video, a lot of times I would go out there with a guy in a quad and he'd do the same jump on a quad. You know, and some of the dirt bike guys were like, what the hell is wrong with you guys? Because, <laughs> uh, you know, well, out here in Vegas, like Carrie Hart had a big double and uh, I mean, it, it was about 175 foot to the sweet spot. And it was a probably legit 135 to live because it was like a cliff <laughs> that you had to step up onto. And uh, so I, I was like trying to figure out, okay, who, who would jump this? And back in the day, there, Matt Coulter, kangaroo kid was 
doing like some pretty gnarly jumps at shows and stuff like that. So I reached out to him and like, Hey, do you want to come claim this jump? And it's nuts because it's in the first Huevos video, but like we didn't really know each other. He flew out here from uh, England and I lined up a quad out here through Steve Abbott. I'd never seen the quad. It was a Banshee that had been set up to race Mickey's. Um, I think the guy's name, oh man. I feel like it was like Charlie Rennie or something like that. I forget the guy's name, but anyways, Coulter's never ridden this quad. We've never seen this jump. We've got, I, I don't even know if cell phones, I think cell phones had just kind of started there. Like, and, uh, you know, we go out to this jump. He rides the Banshee around for maybe half an hour to get used to it. And, you know, we got no ambulance. And it was me with a video camera and Tyson with a film camera. And I think like Steve Abbott standing there and Coulter hits this jump. That's like still, if not the gnarliest, one of the gnarliest jumps I've ever seen anyone hit. And the whole backstory of it definitely makes it the gnarliest jump I've ever seen anyone do. <laughs> yeah, with no time on the machine. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah, dude. Come off of a plane from England, hop on a banshee that you've never ridden before, and huck a 175-foot jump. Uh, took some intestinal fortitude. <laughs> or, or just you got to be batshit crazy. <laughs> I, I'm going to lean with the batshit crazy. <laughs> I, I, I've, uh, yeah. I, I love Matt Coulter. Hopefully he can listen to this. But uh, I, I think uh, I've seen him do a couple things where I'm like, you got to screw loose, man. Oh, he did a, a world record Guinness jump in, in Ohio. at a, There was an event John Pellin was putting on. And so he's going to set like the record. And we're, I'm looking at the jump and I'm like, this just doesn't line up. Like, you're not going to make it. And then, like, I think Tim Farr, Doug Gust, and I remember maybe Shane Hit. We're, we're all standing there, the three of us, and we're looking at this jump. And I'm like, this doesn't look right to me. Does it look right to you guys? And they're like, nope, he's not going to make it. <laughs> and, like, literally all of us are looking at it like, this is not – your angles aren't right on these jumps. And, uh, like, I, I went and talked to him before the race. I'm like, you know, how are you feeling about this? You know, I'm like, you, you sure everything looks cool, but like, you don't want to put demons in their head either, you know? So I'm like, trying like not to mess with his head. And he's like, well, mate, it's like all the cameras are here. And uh, like, I got to go, man. It's like, I can't back down right now. And I'm like thinking to myself, like, oh, man. <laughs> so he knows he's not going to make it. He's going to go, he's going to go for this anyways. Because, oh. He, he can't back down. <laughs> and I was like, wow. Uh, okay. Good luck, man. I just stay safe. Hopefully I see you uh, on the other side of that jump. Uh. And he ate it big time. And uh, luckily he walked away. But I mean, I'd say if, if he got nine lives, he used about eight and a half of them. <laughs> oh, man. That's horrible. That's horrible. <laughs> my, my body hurts just thinking about it. It, it was it was gnarly. Like I, I, uh, I, 
was trying to recommend that he didn't do it, but I, I definitely had a sinking feeling as he was lining up to do the job. That's awesome. I really wanted to ask you about your most memorable race, but you already told me the story and I just, I'm still stuck on that a little bit and some of your Baja experience. So uh, I want to go back to that if you don't mind. Uh, I know yeah. that you got to ride with one of the, I would have to say one of, you know, I know Doug rolls a, a, an icon and a hero and his brother in Baja, but Wayne Matlock is one of the guys that comes to mind as a, as one of the Kings down there. And, and you got to spend some time racing with him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, definitely I consider Wayne a good friend of mine. We started off as uh, competitors and uh, I think we had so 2005, we had a pretty good battle going on where I'm trying to remember who was on his team. I think I had Dana Creech, Jason Luberg, and Keith Little or something like that. And uh, we were going back and forth until I think Dana was battling with Shane Hitt. And so maybe maybe they had Tim Farr, Shane Hitt, and Wayne or something. I don't know. I don't remember exactly who all he had. But um, And then Dana crashed while battling with Shane and kind of took out our headlights and we ended up winning. But uh, I think one of the things w was tough for me is I was filming Huevos videos all year and then I was doing the thousand as a one-off race. So we didn't have a ton of testing usually on the quad when we took it down there and it just, uh, I feel like we got second a ton of times or we'd be leading and then, have a mechanical problem so um after the 05 season wayne reached out to me and asked if i wanted to be part of his program and he had um honda backing at the time so you know it seemed pretty appealing to me um to uh to be able to basically show up and, and race and not have to organize the, the whole team. So I think 2006, that's when I started racing with Wayne and, you know, we, we went all the way to the, the last, I think the last quad race for both of us was the Baja 1000 in 2013. And, uh, you know, we won five championships together and, you know, I, I don't even know how many races. I think from 08 to, like, 010, we, we went, like, three years undefeated or something. And we uh, had, a, had a pretty solid program. It was cool to just, you know, I, I think if you talk to, like, top racers or top programs, you get to that point where you expect to win. And, you know, that was... And when we were racing, I felt like Wayne and I were really tight. We'd talk about race strategies and pit strategies and all that. And I think in between the two of us, we had a lot of experience down there. And you know, I think we made a, a really good team together. And, uh, you know, and I think he, he did a real good job as far as making sure we had a, a good, well-prepped race quad. And... You know, and, and he's got a lot of family support too, which that really helped a lot because 
the pit support and the logistics and all that. So, I mean, that's where, you know, Kristen Matlock really cut her teeth helping us out, you know, and, you know, she's now a, a top UTV racer. So, um, you know, I think, uh, Wayne's dad was a hero too, man. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, he's more than a hero. He's a legend. Oh, <laughs> uh, that guy. I got to, I got to spend a lot of time with him and, uh, he, you talk about characters, man. Cliff was uh, definitely a character and, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's definitely missed, but not forgotten. That's for sure. I got to spend a very short amount of time with the man and, and really, really enjoyed it. He was super respectful, always treated anybody that ever seen, he always treated them awesome. And that's just my perspective. I, you know, there's other yeah. stories that you hear, but the portions I dealt with the man, he was phenomenal. Yeah. Oh, no, it, like he uh, definitely was a nice guy. And like I said, definitely a character. There was, uh, he, uh, I think a lot of times driving the chase truck, he thought he was in the race as well. As uh, I literally would have to like wear, well, his wife would play like classical music to try to calm him down. And like, I would wear headphones and stuff and try to not even look out the road. So I could, cause I had to keep myself mentally like ready to get on the quad next. And I'm like white knuckling the whole time. <laughs> cause I think I'm going to die in the chase truck. <laughs> and it was just like, literally I'm like, I just want out of this chase truck. So like at, at least my life is in my own hands when I'm on the quad. <laughs> <You know? laughs> um, I could totally yeah. see that. It was, uh, it was, it was pretty funny. And then, uh, you know, we definitely had some good times after, uh, winning some races too. Oh yeah. I bet. I bet. So How's the Corona thing been for you? I know not everybody likes to talk about it. Has it, has it affected you much or caused many issues for you? Um, I mean, other than I can't watch the news or, uh, barely look at social media without wanting to kill people. <laughs> uh, other than that, um, I, I don't know. Uh, from a political standpoint, there's a whole bunch of things I could say, but that's probably not what we're here for. No. Um, as far as it affecting, it's, you know, I, I generally kind of work for myself and, you know, I, it's affected me as far as there haven't really been very many races. You know, I, I was expecting to do the whole score series this year and there hasn't been a score race yet. And, uh, yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to things kind of getting back to normal. But uh, the, I, don't know, I, I, I think just the thing with with me is just it's very frustrating living in our society right now. Like literally, the governor of Nevada just announced they're closing all the bars, and uh, basically, if you're so. I think only re restaurants can only do takeout and like delivery now. So we're going back to where we were before and just seems like there's a, uh, it's been very politicized and there's a lot of rules that don't make a whole lot of sense to me. It seems like there's not a whole lot of common sense out there, but I'll leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel your pain, brother. I feel your pain. 
What's your Pretty sure most of the people listening to this will feel the same way. <laughs> most of them. What's yeah. Your, what's your take on the overall uh, health of the ATV industry? <sighs> um, are you including UTVs as part of that? No, not really. Yeah. We can, I can ask that question next. Yeah. I'm just talking about just the, the quads basically in general. Yeah. Um, no, I, I hear you. I, I think without any new vehicles being introduced out there, there's just been a slow decline in the amount of excitement in the sport. You know, it's, and it's sad because there's guys, you know, like Joel Hetrick is an amazing rider. And, you know, and, and there's a whole bunch of guys that are amazing riders that are out there right now. But it, it just seems to me like ATV racing is about a, a low a point as I've seen it of, you know, we're maybe like the early 90s. But I, but I feel like it's tough because I don't know if it's the eye that I'm looking at it through or what, what exactly is going on. But I also feel like that just kids nowadays aren't that into doing real sports. They'd rather play video games or be on social media or um, who knows what, <laughs> but you yeah. know, I, I feel like I don't see, say 20 years ago, you saw kids driving around with a pickup truck with a dirt bike or a quad in the back, you know, and it's like, they, and they wanted to go to the desert and go do stuff. I just don't feel like I see that at all anymore. And, you know, and then just with no new vehicles, I mean, what was the last time a new quad came out? Like as far as a sport quad, like 15 years ago or something or 10 years ago. 20 years ago, that 09 with well, a new version. Um, It'd be the YFZ, right? That's the YFZR because it's the Honda was yeah. already it's when, the same model from 06 up. Yeah. Um, so when did the YFZR come out? Nine. So, yeah, so it's been 11 years, I guess, 12 years. Uh, yeah. So, 12 years. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, to go 12 years and they haven't so over a decade without a new vehicle is that's a long time. I think yeah. it, you think it's going to fall back to the people like the, the, the independents uh, taking over the industry again and, and making new machines themselves using whether it be dirt bike motors or adapting quad motors. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's going to have to because I don't see anything coming from OEMs at this point. You know, I think uh, they seem to be happy with, I think, focusing on dirt bikes for the sport market and then, you know, selling some ATVs. But I feel like uh, even like your four by four utility quad sales are probably way down from what they used to be with the emergence of the UTV market. You know, I think just the guys that had quads before and rode quads now all have UTVs. 
And uh, yes, I think, and then I, I might be wrong. I haven't been to a, a race in a while, but I just feel like I, you don't see a crop of new young kids coming up riding quads. And I, I feel like I hear more about kids racing 170s, you know, at UTV races or something or trophy carts or something like that versus kids racing quads. Well, the cage thing is a little safer, you know, but yeah, you still got a huge I mean, kids riding motors, dirt bikes. Yeah. Well, that's, I think that's the, the problem though, is the kid that would have, that would maybe be interested in riding a quad is on a dirt bike or he's in a, a UTV and is quite kind of left quads in a no man's land. I feel like right now. Yeah. Cause there's no entry level quads. The Raptor 250 got you well, know, yeah. discontinued. The blaster got discontinued. You know, I mean, what are you going to put them on? There's nothing yeah. small that they can go ride. And I mean, to have like, I think the other thing that kills quads as far as racing is just, they're so expensive. Oh yeah. You it, know, ain't it's just, it ain't going to get any cheaper. Yeah. To have a full race 450, and you probably know better than me, but what are you going to be like 20, 25 grand into the thing or something nowadays? Pro level quad, you're all over that. Yeah. And, and, so, and that's just get, That gets you to the starting line on day one. Yeah. And then so, hey, you got to go to the second race. Yeah. Uh, oops. That that's a whole nother prep. I mean, which you're familiar with what you got to go through to prep them. And, yep. and you know, the riders get harder and, and back in, in the early days of your career, the machine, you could ride the machine harder than, than you were better than the machine. Yeah. All the machines have gotten, the suspension's gotten so good, the power we get out of them. And we just keep making it better and better and better. And, and they keep going faster and faster and faster. Yeah. Well, and, and I think that's part of the issue is, you know, back to my story of after college, you know, me nickel and diming, putting a 250R together. You know, I could do the top end on the 250R for probably a hundred bucks and I could do it myself in less than an hour. And you know, I really didn't, you didn't, it didn't take as much to do it. Like if it, what it takes now to go be competitive, I wouldn't have been able to do it. And so I would have been out of the sport. And, you know, so literally all the stories that we just said, if the sport was back then where it is now, those stories wouldn't exist. I, I get it. You look at the top programs uh, across the country or, or around the world with the engine development that's gone on and the price and the engines that you have and the amount of engines you have to have to be competitive. Like just to say motocross back East. Yeah. I mean, the, the, Hedrick blew that motor up and it probably did way more damage than any of us even see because of the fire. You know, I don't know if you've seen the video. I haven't. I haven't seen the video. I just heard a story about it and the, yeah. and the fire that it had and the, and the fact, the way that it blew up, it did some damage. You know, that's either bringing out a second quad or you're pulling a motor and, and, and putting another motor in and probably other componentry. Uh, it, it, you know, that's, that's thousands of dollars right there. You know? Yeah. Well, and I mean, it, well, it's been this way for a little while, but 
your top teams are rolling up in semis with multiple quads, multiple motors, you know, tons of parts. And it's uh it's, it's a rich man sport versus the first Mickey Thompson's that I went to my race quad was in the back of my Toyota pickup. And, you know, I, I think I showed up there with my mom and my dad and, you know, yeah. I, I didn't have any spare parts. I didn't have, it was like half the field was just like you. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, and, uh, I don't, I don't know. I, I, I feel like probably in the two thousands quad racing kind of started going down that when the hybrids came out, probably is when it's kind of started going down that road of no return. And I, I don't know what you do to come back from it. You know, they've tried to do the production class, but, but then there's no manufacturer support and there's no new vehicles coming out. So, so if you're riding a Honda a Yamaha or a Suzuki and it's an old Suzuki and a new Yamaha and an old Honda. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I get it. Um, I don't, so, I don't have a clear cut answer unless they went back to specking the motors and, and running different fuels, you know, to, to, to bring them down, bring the cost down. Uh, yeah engine's still going to cost i mean if you look at a lobo right now you build a lobo and you go back and you hunt down all your prices your parts for the chassis you know your lobo chassis is what 16 grand and then you got to put a motor in it and then you got to put wheels and tires on it and you got to put brakes on it you know before you know it if you buy all the top quality stuff you're thirty five thousand dollars into that quad yeah and yeah, fine. Top of the line, yeah. So you can do it cheaper, but if you go cheaper, you're lessening the the quality of the machine. Yeah, and I, I think again, back in the day, that disparity was a lot less. You know, so me racing out of the back of a pickup with some basic parts on the quad versus the top pro quad that was there um there, there there wasn't as big of a difference you know even the factory teams it, it, it they weren't well i've heard some pretty crazy stuff about some of the factory stuff <laughs> but um but i think for the most part though you know marty hart's quad in 1986 wasn't that different than you know a, a mid-pack pros quad no you, know, you, you still had stock arm stock frame stock swing arm you know like it, it wasn't the way it was tuned and you know how well it worked may have been better but it wasn't a thirty thousand dollar difference i guess you know no i mean because you you have and one of the problems is you used to have tears you know you used to have a, a novice or a beginner novice intermediate expert pro now yeah. Oh, it's, it's, you got C riders, B riders, A riders, and pro riders, and you might have a pro am class in there and you got C riders on pro level machines. Right. They, they lost the learning curve. Right. Well, and yeah, I think that's where quad racing lost a lot of people is that it is priced a lot of people out of the sport. You know, so unless you had wealthy parents or you won the lottery, you couldn't afford to go do it, you know, if as a 16 to 20 year old kid, not too many 
not too many people in that age bracket can afford out of their own pocket to spend $35,000 on a quad and then another, you know, 50,000 to go race a full season. Yeah. It's just ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. Unless you've started some tech company or something. like. <laughs> and you're most likely not going to be racing quads if you started, did something that cool. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, in Indy cars, but you know, you look at F1, you know, the top four best cars are leaps and bounds better than everybody else. You know, yeah. MotoGP, you know, the back markers in that are, are riding year old machines and the new stuff is so much better than those guys. And, and you're thinking, okay, I got a million dollar road race bike. that's a year old and it can't beat or can't compete with the new model. Right. And it costs a million bucks. And you're like, yeah. What? But I think in both, in both those cases though, you have spec race series that you can move your way up, you know? So you have like, say for F1, they have farm leagues you know, where you've got spec open wheel race cars and same thing in MotoGP, you have spec motorcycle races. So, correct. you know, there, there are, there are ways that you could kind of get into the sport versus like you were saying, I think at the nationals now, you know, <laughs> I don't know. I feel like when the last, well, shoot the last probably 10, 15 years, you'd go and here's a sea rider with a million dollar motorhome and stacker trailer with like four $35,000 quads. Right. And, you know, so it's tough to go compete against that if you don't have the money to, to do it. Right. You, know? you, do it. you just can't do it. You know, you know it's like, I, I mean, like a guy like Doug Gust, I remember um, like the first time I saw Doug, I was racing an arena cross at the cow palace and uh, he showed up and he had a, a bone stock um, 88 250R. And it still had stock rear tires and stock front tires on it. And it was, I think Eichner was there, Donnie Banks, um, I think like Rick Rupert, I'm trying to remember. There's a couple other old school kind of Mickey's guys that were there. And all of us were looking at each other like, who the hell is this guy? And there was a pretty gnarly double that was in the middle of the track. And then there was a, a really gnarly triple that was like more of a rhythm section. And nobody was doing the triple. And I think Donnie Banks was like the first guy to hit the big double. And, you know, he was the first guy to hit a lot of stuff back in the day. Right. And, uh, and then here's this dude, Doug Gust, on this stock 250R, hucks it. And all of us are looking at each other like, what the hell is going on? Because it's, it's a arena cross, and he's got stock 250R tires. And, and, uh, and then he started jumping the triple. Nobody was even, not even Donnie was doing the triple. And then, uh, but all of us were like, he's going to eat shit if he keeps doing this, because he was barely pulling it off. And then sure enough, he crashed. So. <laughs> so he ended up taking himself out. But but I think that year he went to um oh, there was a national like in Chico or something that year. And I think he like finished top three or something on like a stock bike, but you know, just off pure talent. Okay. Uh, we'll go back in time a little bit. And and my first 
interaction with Doug Gust. And it wasn't even an interaction. It was just watching this happen. I'm back there. You know, I didn't start going to the Nationals till 90, 91. And uh-huh. this is in 93. And he rolls in on a 250R. Everybody else has got shocks and a shock guy. He's still running brand new, just purchased 89 250R shocks on his quad. They work the best. You guys are crazy. Why are you doing this? And he went out and won. Yeah. And I'm just, I'm like, uh, you know, I'm asking Lauren, why, who is it? And Lauren just shakes his head and goes, dude, when you're that good and you're that strong, hey, who who can argue with it? You know? <laughs> right. And then when he switched over, he was never like super dominant, you know, his, his whole career, but he had times yeah. where he was just phenomenally good. And uh, I mean, I, I, I really enjoyed watching him when he rode for Suzuki and him, yeah. um, I think it was Wimmer was right. Yeah. Had some good battles with Wimmer. Oh man. That was just, they duped it out and there was nobody else in the race, but those two guys. And, yeah. Uh, you know, I knew that Gus was going to win solely because, dude, you don't take that much experience and not pull it off at the end. And and, and he did yeah. at the time that I'm aware of. But, you know, he ended up winning the championship in the WPSA uh, uh-huh. back, back in, I don't even remember where. It was. Yeah, like, it was like 07 or 06, something like that. Yeah, but I don't even remember what, I don't even remember where we were. I think it might have been New York or New Jersey. Uh, I, I know English town was one of them, but, uh, I was at a, a lot of those races. I remember watching those battles, you know, it was, uh, it was good stuff. I, I always had a lot of respect for Doug. Yeah, I, I still do. I mean, the, the, the guy just, there's guys in the industry and I'm a huge fan of the industry, you know, being in it as, as, as long as I have. Uh, you know, I love the ATV industry and I just, I'm a fan. I mean, I'm a fan of some of these guys that, you know, even though they rode for other companies or, you know, it didn't really matter. I just love yeah. them do their thing. You know, I think that's one of the things that was cool about doing all the Huevos videos is I got to work with a lot of the top riders, you know, and, you know, and really become friends with a lot of them. And I mean, there was a, uh, some really, really talented writers. Oh yeah. I mean, and a couple of them may not, I don't think might've ever won a championship because the, the, the pool of people that could win was so deep, you know, when you go to a race and even when Denton was winning titles, you know, there was five to six guys nipping at his heels every year, but it took that title away from him. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think Greg Stewart deserved a title. Um, you know, he, I think I want to say Gary, like just beat him out one year on a, on a title. And then, uh, uh wasn't that Mickey's? In well, yeah, there was an outdoor one too, though, where I think Greg had dominated all the motocross races and then Gary won like a TT and squeaked out the, <laughs> the championship. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, he had, Stewart had a, uh, Mickey's title wrapped up and ended up with, I think it was two or three DNFs in the last rounds, you know, heartbreaking, heartbreaking, you know, he he had a huge lead and all he has to do is finish in the top three, I think in the last round and think, you know, gremlins again. And, Oh God, I felt 
Yeah. So bad. But yeah, he was a great rider. Nah, he's another one of the things I like about the ATV industry is I feel like, uh, you know, for the most part, everyone's pretty cool. And I mean, I think through time too, like, I mean, in the heat of the moment, when you're maybe have a first competitor or something, you might um, hate each other then. But I think through time, like a, a lot of people, have uh you know grown respect for each other and are all like friendly but for the most part i feel like the whole industry all helps each other out a lot and it's a very uh friendly sport i i think that from the the guys that did the work and the the riders yeah there's a couple owners that will probably never be able to sit down and have a meal together you know (laughs) (laughs) but but most of the the team guys and the people that work there, I think we'll all be able to, because, you, you know, we have so many stories to tell back and forth. Hey, you remember when this happened? You remember when we did this? And, and uh, I, I just, you know, I, I really, that's what started this whole thing is yeah. I that you and then the other people that I, that, that, that come on the show, you got something to tell that no, your story there's people out there that know who you are, but they don't know some of your, your backstory. Yeah. And that's what, yeah, this no, definitely. you know, I want my heroes and the people that I really enjoy, even the ones that I don't know very well, I want their story to come out and I want their fans and the, the younger people to listen and hear some of these things so that they can enjoy the industry that I've loved so much. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, like for myself, it was funny because when we were doing the Huevos videos, I became known for that. And then a lot of people didn't even realize that I actually rode and and raced. <laughs> so um, there, there was a, like a really funny time where I was with Daryl Rath and uh, we're at an ice racing event up in like, Superior, Wisconsin. And so I'd never, I'd never, uh, ridden on ice before. And, um, Daryl had a, it was like a Polaris predator or something, but the thing was pretty dialed and uh, he, Daryl knows how to set up a, a TT quad pretty well. And uh, well, I mean, he knows how to set up quads period and he does really nice work. And right. so I was like, I want to ride your quad. And, so they had a dash for cash that was like an outlaw dash for cash or something. So he's like, well, why don't you race it in that? So I literally didn't get to practice. And they're like, oh, you they thought I was just a camera guy. <laughs> and uh, the, uh, they're like, well, you know, if you're on Daryl Rass quad, you got to start like in the second row or something. So they literally like, and I'm like, sure, whatever. I just want to ride. And so they started everyone in the row in front of me. And then I was on Daryl's quad in the second row by myself. And uh, I literally, like, I almost whole shotted from the second row. I was, like, second in the first turn and in first exiting the first turn. And then I won by, like, half a lap. And I think I had given Daryl my video camera or something. And, and so, like, I they're videoing it and you hear like people in the crowd, like that sandbagger like going on and on. And they're like all yelling and stuff. It was like, people were pissed. And I was like, this is a dash for cash. 
I just wanted to ride. I'm like, I'm not here to take your, your money or whatever. And I had never ridden that quad. I didn't do any practice. I didn't do anything. I just literally hopped on this thing and rode right now. And uh, so, like, I ended up, I'm like, just give me my entry fee back. And you guys split the money or whatever. I'm like, I don't even care. And <laughs> so it's funny because, like, things like that would happen where I, I think, you know, people saw me with the camera and they didn't actually realize that I was involved in the sport and rode and had, you know, a long history of racing. But so that, that led to some, uh, some funny stories like that sometimes. Well, you didn't get publicized as a rider very often. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think, uh, <laughs> yeah, it, I, I got some more publicity when we were winning championships with Wayne, but I always kind of felt like everyone considered it Wayne's team and Wayne was winning it. You know, which um, I think it, he definitely helped organize the whole thing. But as far as riding, it, it took a team effort on all of us. And we all had to ride really well to win, you know. Right. So. Yep. It, it, it is that way. Wes, I really want to thank you for taking the time with me. Uh, I'd like to uh, extend the invitation that, that we do this again, um, maybe after you've raced a couple UTV races and, uh, and maybe get me some more Baja stories. Uh, even if it's TV, uh, you can come up with some, uh, maybe we can talk into the future a little bit, of uh, some of the things that you've done and delve into those things. Yeah, definitely. And, uh, you know, anybody that listens to this, if, uh, you want to see more of what I have going on or more of my stories or anything like that, you can like, and follow me on Instagram and Facebook. It's at West Miller 70 number seven zero um i post stuff on there all the time and i actually post a lot of old photos so if you like listening to this hopefully uh like and follow me on there and then we also have bombsquadracing.com where i have old huevos dvds for sale well they're new huevos dvds but have the, the old titles and then we also have some merchant stuff on there too so if you're a fan from back in the day, or like, I know there's a lot of guys that were fans back in the day. Now they have kids and they want to show their kids what they grew up doing. And, you know, so you can uh, go to bombsquadracing.com and, and get that stuff there. So then I've got a couple projects, hopefully uh, we'll have going here pretty soon. So uh, I'll, I'll be announcing those things on my, on my uh, social media though. That'd be awesome. And, you know, if you want to, if you want to schedule some time with me and talk about any of that stuff, please, please hit me up and we'll, uh, we'll get you on and do it again. Okay. Sounds good. The team here at ATV Talk would love your feedback. Please email us at hello at ATVTalkPodcast.com. Former off-road professional Garen Fuller with his team at EC Homes, a top-notch real estate company, will help you buy or sell a home. Visit our website, echomesforsale.com, to get a free analysis on your home. Please mention ATV Talk for a 1.5% listing fee. Visit echomesforsale.com. Make sure you let them know who sent you. San Diego's Body Evolution Wellness Center 
With over 17 years experience, Dr. Heidi looking after all your chiropractic needs and Coach PJ looking after your fitness needs. Visit our website, www.bodyevolutions.org or call for an appointment, 858-571-0160. Duncan Technologies International. More than 33 years in the industry building racing programs and ATVs around the world. We build winners. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode. If you did, don't forget to rate us on all the available platforms and share us with your loved ones. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook for more ATV Talk News. See you next time. <laughs>